What is up, guys? Welcome back to the Zach and Pat Show. I'm Zach. I'm Pat. This is the show about manhood, fatherhood, entrepreneurship, and the mentality it takes to be successful at those things. And I'm sure we'll talk about some real estate uh, stuff as well, because that's what Pat and I do. You know, life can be tough. We can lose our identities and struggle at times. This is the podcast to let you know that you are not alone. So if you're someone out there going through these things, this is the show for you. Uh, just a reminder, guys, we are doing the book club for the month of February. This week's or this month's book is How to Talk to Anyone, 92 Little Tricks for Big Success in Relationships. So get the book, read it along with us. We'll be doing a podcast on that book at the end of the month. So uh, today is a Thursday episode. That means we've got a guest in studio. He's uh, one of my very good friends, one of my training partners at the gym. He is a father, a husband, an architect, a jiu-jitsu purple belt, the great and powerful Remington Knight. Thank you. Thank you. Welcome. 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 What's up? Yeah. Yeah, what's up, dude? So, Not much, man. On. Thank you. Yeah, First off, good. you have a killer name. Uh, you know, I, my default answer to all of that is I had nothing to do with it. Um, I just am existing and my parents are the one that decided to be semi-cool. Do you ever was, go by Remy? You don't like my that, right? mom will call me that in the occasional female, but I when I do calls me, that's a little I've never weird. heard anybody call you Remy. No. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> There's a few people in the gym that I have before that I'm just like, all right, that's a little, yeah, a little weird. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I'm about to like hold seems you like a little aggressively. So. <laughs> <laughs> it seems like a kind of like a little, like a kind of a kitty type. Name, yeah. Sort of. Yeah. I think of Remy Martin. Uh, oh yeah. But I also drink cognac. So oh. yeah. I think of, <laughs> I think of Remy Adelake, the seal who, uh, is a director and, uh, you should check out his book. It's pretty cool. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, why don't you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself? Tell us, you know, kind of your origin story. Sure. Uh, yeah, my name is Remington Knight. I am, in fact, uh, in, well, short and or long story short here. I'm technically, if all the other architects out here, I don't want to get hate mail on it, but I'm not an officially an architect because I don't have my seal. Mm. So to be an architect, you have to have a professional seal, meaning you have to pass a number of exams. I'm sure I'll go through like how how to become an architect here in a minute and deter a bunch of people from actually going down that <laughs> round. But uh no. Uh like you said, I'm a dad. I'm soon to be Yeah, uh, dude. He's got his wife's pregnant with twins. Well, yeah. Congratulations. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Yeah. So our world's about to be rocked here in a little while. Uh but yeah, so uh got a adorable little two and a half, almost three year old that is uh just crazy. Uh you'd think she was a boy without like just brash and like just zero abandoned for any bit of her health uh, <laughs> running around in our house uh purple belt as you indicated over at watson's um i've been doing that for a long time now uh but yeah uh you know grew up in and around st louis area uh was born in southern california my dad was a marine uh, was stationed at what is no longer a base anymore, but basically, uh, parts of the actual Top Gun was oh, uh, cool. the original Top Gun was filmed at where he was stationed uh, as El Toro base. But uh, was born out there, moved when I was like two, it, maybe not even that, uh, back to uh, Waterloo, Illinois, which is where all my mom's side of the family is at. My dad, South City, South County kid, grew up in Melville, not too far from here. Sick. Yeah. My dad actually <laughs> used to uh, hold the record for the mile uh, at Melville for a long time. Same. Uh-huh. Yeah. So uh, he, was a, he was a pretty pretty darn good runner. I was not as talented as him. 
but uh, went to standard St. Louis thing. Went to Parkway South uh, yeah. when it comes to high school. Um, have always been involved in some form of sport and kind of never stopped. Did track and soccer all throughout high school. Was really into soccer for a long time, but was uh, good, not great. And that's kind of really my athletic career <laughs> on a lot of things. Uh, but then, uh, was good enough to actually, uh, do college track. Um, but only did it for a year. Uh, Drury university is where I went. Uh, and that's where I got my master's degree in architecture, but, um, went to Drury, did a year of track and field and long story short, I got to set a bunch of records that are all broken now. <laughs> high jump, right? Yeah, yeah. High jump was my, like my bread and butter, uh, was a high, long and triple guy in high school. I also did sprints. Uh, just cause I'm long and lanky and they were like, all right, you're going to be a 400 guy. And it's like, that's the worst race in yeah, track and field, say, but sprint a lap. Yeah. It, that's what it is. I mean, <laughs> it is, it's all heart that last hundred meters. It sucks. I've very rarely not like just puked after races. Like it's an awful race. I hate doing it, but it, it'll tell you whether you're in shape or not for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, I was, I was good in high school. I wasn't great, but I, Drury was starting a program. I was actually the first signed uh, track athlete at Drury University. Sick. Yeah. So, like I said, I set a bunch of records that are all broken now. Um, but, uh, yeah, and did that for a year. They sort of promised scholarship type stuff. And then they basically said, like, oh, yeah, well, we spent all that money on recruitment. So, you want to come back? And I was like, no. <laughs> 6 a.m. practices six days a week sucks. Yeah, <laughs> Especially no. when I was um, – uh, you didn't say, but yeah, I, we talked earlier, I sang on scholarship, uh, for basically kind of like a, an elite touring choir in college. We, that particular program, basically every other year you go internationally. My freshman year, we went to Italy for three weeks, uh, basically started in Rome and worked our way North, got to do a lot of really cool stuff. I said earlier, my Resume is way cooler than my ability. Uh, yeah. I'm a pretty decent karaoke singer, but I'm very much retired when it comes to this. Mo- mostly singing now. But I got to do some really cool resume things. I sang mass in the Vatican. Uh, I sang mass in St. Mark's, which is where like acapella music was invented. Really, so, that's uh, cool. yeah, it was pretty cool. Um, but yeah, that's kind of like up to high school, and then after that was or up through college. Um, after that graduated with my master's in architecture and tried to find my way in and around different spots, uh, in the St. Louis area. St. Louis is, I will say, (laughs) this will be a little controversial, but not a great city for design. Um, there's a few firms out there that do some really good stuff. Um, but not a ton of like crazy design, uh, stuff you'd see. I mean, where's an example of a place that has like outstanding design qualities? Um, Hmm. I mean, all the coasts, like you look at New York and you look at LA, obviously they, they take a lot more risk and they've got the cash to be able to do so. Um, Chicago, Chicago, yeah, to a certain extent. Uh, well, and there's, there's some history there. There's a really famous German architect called uh, Mies Vedero, and he's got a ton of buildings up there and he's sort of the modern, um, or he's kind of like the father of modern architecture. Um, so you, I guarantee you've seen his buildings before, but, um, he, I would say, honestly, even like in the local area, like 
uh, or local-ish area, like within our state, Kansas City has got a lot of really cooler designs than some of the stuff that happens in St. Louis. St. Louis kind of puts itself in this like pigeonhole of uh, brick design. Mm-hmm. You know, we've got we've got some really cool history. Obviously, like we have a really cool like modern uh, architecture with the arch. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, that's the crowning jewel of definitely the architecture in our city. And three blocks from that is the first ever skyscraper with the Wainwright building. This is so, the first? First skyscraper ever. I didn't really? know that. Yeah, yeah. Oh. So if you basically walk down, um, what is that? Market? I was going to say market. I yeah, if you go market and you hit, I think it's fourth, and then basically go north, you'll run right into it. So it's like uh, almost like a burgundy, like a uh, brick building that's like long, thin, but it's like pretty <laughs> red looking brick. Mm-hmm. And there's a plaque on the side of this first ever skyscraper. Huh. Yeah. It's pretty that's, cool. That yeah. cool. Didn't know that. Yeah, but it's the first ever, like, that was right around the Industrial Revolution. And okay. that's when you could start to get basically over seven, seven floors. Anything. So how many floors is that one? Uh, that's a good question. I don't know. I think it's like 10, maybe. Okay. Something Google it. Yeah. yeah. Murph. What was the name of the building again? Wainwright Building. Adam, Adam, Adam's what? Building. Adam Wainwright. He, he built it. Yeah. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> 10 stories. Boom, yeah. look at that. Damn, you're good. <laughs> You'd think I'm an architect or something. Yeah. <laughs> it's like he does this for a living. Yeah. So did you always want to be an architect? Was that something like you uh, kind of grew no, up No, not at all. Like how, how'd a... you go down that path? Well, so my dad, uh, the Marine, he's very much the engineer analytical guy. Worked on, so my dad, when he was in, in the Marines, he was a jet engine mechanic. Um, wanted to go down the whole uh, like actual like fighter pilot, but obviously there's few and far between it, the right. guys that actually get to do that. Um, so, but. He was in the Marines, did that for a long time, then went into the car industry and was a mechanic under that for a long time uh, and went through a lot of different battles of, like, the volatility of, like, strikes and different things like that. It was, it was a rough go. Um, and my mom is very much on the artistic side. So she, you know, used to do, like, murals of paintings in, like, my baby room or, like, different stuff. So I'm very much a meld in between those two. Mm, so yeah, I was going to say architecture, like, engineer oof. and, and art and artist like very much yeah. so uh the funny thing is like a lot of people think like you have to have like decent like math or like have a decent understanding when it comes to like a pretty advanced level when it comes to some of the engineering side of that for an architecture degree or even to become an architect no not at all um a lot of like the super complicated like formulas like i always like joke to matt engelbart like mm-hmm. let's talk about like concrete deflection I don't calculate that. That's a structural engineer that does that. <laughs> if you're if you're hiring an architect to do like a pretty significant building, you should have a structural engineer. If you're doing anything outside of the building, you should have a civil engineer, um, mechanical, electrical, plumbing engineers. Like a lot of that stuff is um, held through the contractor side these days. But uh, meaning it's a it's a method called design design uh, build. The typical method for architecture and basically it would go design, bid, then build. A lot of times now to fast track some things, they'll go design, build, where the contractor uh, bids out a set from the architect, then his hires subcontracting engineers, and then they go after the fact that we've designed the build. Then we basically fix some things off the back end and go through with design at that point. Okay. Cool. So how did you, I mean... I know you, you don't exactly, I mean, it seems like most of the stuff that you do is like sound studios and stuff. Like how did you kind of get into that? So 
or like um, I guess the firm that you were you have you always been with this company? No. So right out of school, I worked for a company called KAI, and they kind of do a little bit of everything. They're a pretty big firm, but they have satellite offices kind of like all over the country. But their little housing, uh, it was like basically a large apartment, uh, multifamily, um, like two hundred unit uh, places, like all over the country. Uh, that was like all they did. And I was a contract employee right out of school. It was 2013. Architecture firms were just starting to get successful again after the whole housing crash. And mm. they started to hire people again, at least low, you know, intern level uh, people. So I was contract. Then I got a call from uh, a guy I know really well um, who basically wanted to hire me on as a full position, but they were primarily medical architects. So <clears throat> I did. That I was there for about six years, okay, and did a lot of medical stuff all around. Really, the BJC network of people did a little bit of stuff at Mercy. But if you have walked anywhere near the building in Kings Highway, uh, you know yeah. I've done. The, it's been under construction for forever, fucking ten years. I feel yeah. like <laughs> so. Yeah, well, like the new thing that they're building right now. Yeah, the the demo of that tower that was there before Queenie Tower. I was the. I'll call it the concept artist as well as the uh, logistics person that helped because the project was literally called the disentanglement because you're taking a building that an active hospital that was built in the 1920s that is attached to a building that was built in the 1950s and all of it is sitting on top of the main power source for the entire facility that has more than 5,000 people there every day. Right. So you have to figure out how to demo a building on top of all that. And, oh, yeah, wow. so it's a pain in the ass. But yeah. um, so basically, that was like oh, that was like a two year process of just removing that. And now they're building what is phase three of I think six. So you're not involved with that? No, no, no. I don't do medical architecture anymore because I don't work for that company. But okay. Um, but long and the short of it is, I did a lot of that kind of stuff, and get, it gets really, really technical. But there's pretty soul sucking design related stuff to it. Like you, there's not a lot of opportunity for creativity. There's not a lot of opportunity for, you know, being able to really um, challenge people's like expectation. That's, I mean, that's part of what I do from an everyday perspective on, on design is I'm trying to push you to something that is slightly uncomfortable for you from a design perspective. And then we can maybe pull back a little bit based upon, you know, everybody's got different tastes on different things. That's why, I mean, you guys deal with this all the time when it comes to right. residential stuff. Like, right. Oh my God. I mean, that's the most personal anything is ever going to get for anybody right. in it's a building fucking house. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> they live there. Right. So I have a lot more freedom when it comes to the corporate side, but it's also like, depending upon the clientele, like, I mean, you know, that's their heart and soul that they're putting into this thing. Right. So it, it just kind of depends. So I got the, I had a bunch of contacts with, for V3, um, I had a bunch of different contacts that all kind of worked there. I knew my wife knew uh, the marketing director there. I had met the owner at a rock show at like, it was just standing in line and I happened to have a, like my old firm's like logo that's basically said like architect on the side. Right. He's like, you're an architect? And I was like, yeah. He was like, I'm an architect. And like, we just started chatting just a little bit. Hit it off. Yeah. yeah. And then like, he, this was like 2015 and he was like, Hey, yeah, if you ever want to like come check us out, let me know. And I wish I would have done it like way before, but 
then like four or five years later, I was like, Hey, you remember that time at that one show, like four or five years ago? <laughs> yeah. I met you. Yeah. I had the thing on my jacket. Yeah. And the funny thing was, is like, it was such a cool show. Uh, shout out to nothing but thieves. They're an awesome band. If you guys don't know them. Um, but it was such a good show and they like had since like blown up that he like legit remembered it because it was like, when they, they were put, like, they put on up. such a good performance and like, it just happened to be, we we're sitting around hanging around with the band afterwards. Like I went out with the band and like, we were drinking at a uh, pinup like afterward. Cause it was like the first show of their tour and they were just like starting to kick things off. So it was really cool. But, um, so I knew the owner, I knew another guy who worked there who I was in a fantasy football league with that. I just was like, Hey, you work here. I was like, are you guys hiring? And basically long and the short of it is like, I went to go sign my acceptance letter for the firm the day, like the world shut down for COVID. Mm. And I was like, it was like whatever that Friday the 13th. Yeah. I was like March 16th, 2020. Yeah. The day after my birthday. So I saw, oh, really? Yeah. So I sent, um, or I got sent the letter on Thursday and I noticed it was going to be Friday the 13th. I was like, Oh, well I'm going to sign this on Thursday. Make sure like yeah. <laughs> there's no bad juju here. And, but then like we re- he basically was like, okay, we don't know what's happening with this. Let's pause it for a little while. Well, ended up uh, like a couple of months later joining back on with them. But yeah, so V3 itself uh, to go into my little like plug here. Yeah. Let's hear all about it. We yep. do, <laughs> we do all, well, we're expertise. Our expertise is in like acoustic sensitive spaces. So like what we had been talking about just before we clicked on here yeah. is kind of like how to treat podcasting studios. Um, it's a different animal when it comes to recording studios. We also do like broadcasting studios. So like all of Boston radio, we just re- we just renovated, um, their, all their studios and all their facilities for in them. Boston. Yep. Okay. Yeah. So it's a company called Beasley Boston or Beasley. And we did a bunch, uh, actually, um, what's his, um, your buddy, uh, logo design Pat. Pat. Yeah. Yeah. He, uh, he did actually some work for them too. Oh. Yeah. Small world. Very small world. Yeah. He was like, Hey, I know you guys, you guys did stuff for Beasley. Right. And I was like, yeah, well, anyway. Um, so we just did uh, a recent, uh, pretty decent like facility for them with a bunch of different studios. But again, like, so that's broadcast audio recording is its own like little, music. Yeah. It's very different. So, um, or if I, I send it to Zach, but I'm sure I'll send it to you. I, there's some photos, uh, of a recent recording studio I did at Webster university. So they have a, they have a, uh, newly renovated communications building with three professional studios, um, as well as, uh, a live room in individual isolation for, uh, isolation booths that you can track independently. Um, there is a soundstage for video, um, recording basically or like basically all their film students will go in through that and that was where we got into some new emerging technology of all the stuff that like disney is doing with there's a company called ilm that developed basically led paneling walls or a tv essentially but it's a grand scale they call it the volume and it's 270 (laughs) feet in diameter and like i think it's like 60 60 uh, feet tall or something like that. So uh, two, a 270 foot wide TV. It's a diameter. Uh, oh, diameter. So it's, okay. a, it's, a, it's like a cylinder. cylinder. So it's 270 feet wide. It's 60, 70 feet tall. Oh, shit. And 
is so the ceiling panels are also TV. Everything is a TV. And the reasoning why is so traditionally the way that all these, you know, Marvel movies and everything has ever been done was they did it through green screen. Mm -hmm. So what you have to do is like all those, all those actors have to pretend what the hell's going on. Right. Like during all this, they're like, Oh my God, Thanos. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, now they can just cast it onto the TV. They build the environment digitally and then they okay. put the environment in the space of where they're at. It's pretty sweet. So when you look off into the distance, it looks like you're looking off into the distance of whatever, like sandstorm. Yeah. And, uh, I think it's Kevin Fahey as well as, um, what's the guy who's, uh, RDJ's, uh, Assistant. John Favreau. Yeah, John Favreau. So John Favreau was like the big proponent of this and the big push for the Mandalorian. Mm-hmm. So what he did was because of the Mandalorian has like that shiny armor, doing green screen, that's like a giant pain in the ass. It's almost borderline impossible, is what he described it as. It was because the green screen is gonna ref- it's emitting light onto that armor. So that's green light being put onto the green screen. Matter. Right. So they would then have to digitally Remove fix, it. Remove it and or cast what they're wanting to put onto the background as well. So it's like impossible for them to be able to do that. They were like, all right, well, we got We just got to do, you got to use new armor. <laughs> well, well, it's either yeah. do, paint the armor, which right. wasn't what he wanted to do. He wanted to be keep chrome. shiny. Yeah, shiny. Yeah. So basically, like, they developed this technology with ILM to be able to put basically the subject matters into these environments. Well, that has now trickled down into private sector as well as educational stuff. Now we're not a hundred percent confirmed as to whether Webster is the only university that has this capability in the country. We pretty confident we're the only ones in, and I say we, because I was very much a proponent of uh, putting it in there. Um, but I think they're the only ones in the Midwest that has the capability of basically doing everything you're talking about. It's only just, it's a smaller TV. Basically it's a 20 foot by 11 TV that they did this on. And it all stemmed from a conversation I had with one of the faculty members in the hallway right before we started construction. So we were going to build them a traditional green screen and in construction costs, the way things are today, that's expensive. It's going to be about a hundred grand to do like the full size one that we wanted to do. And I was like, I'm building some TVs for performance studios. Uh, I was doing a hard rock cafe or hard rock studios in New York at Times Square at the time. And the backdrop of one of their, what we call Studio X, uh, basically just like a, a, a filmable stage so they, they can cast it all over the country or whatever. Um, the background of that was one of these TVs, but it's a little less, uh, didn't have a like camera tracking capability. It was just basically just an LED wall. And we took that and I was like, that was like 75 grand to do that. Do you want to do, do you want to look at this option for basically to re- bump you into like emerging tech. And the guy started to tell me about ILM and I started going down the research rabbit hole of like, all right, well, what do we really need to do for this thing? So what I did was I took Disney's like legit size and shrunk it to the room that it was going to end up going in and then just lopped off like, you know, the back half, the, the spot that it could actually like work in. So originally it was going to be curved. It's not now just because different, <clears throat> different other related like technicalities, but essentially, yeah, it was all from a conversation in the middle of a hallway on like a dingy old, you know, unrenovated like communications building that hadn't been touched in the eighties. And the guy was like, 
Hey, do you want to do something cool? And I was like, hell yeah, dude, let's start to, let's start to like price it out. And it ended up being like 350 K to do the whole thing. But I mean, but they're the top the, of the line, you know, state of the art now. Literally that I, like I said, I don't, I don't know of another university in the United States that has this capability. ILM has other like volume in and around the, like the world. There's one in New York, one in LA. I think they have, uh, there's definitely the original up in um, San Fran area, but I don't know of anything that's, there's smaller sections that some people are being able to do, but nothing to the extent of what they got. Would you say that's probably your favorite project you've worked on? It is. <clears throat> I would say so just cause there's so many facets to it. Like there's, they put, you know, it's 10 pounds into a five pound bag for sure. Yep. In this particular facility, like, there's a really kick-ass art gallery that we put in that's got these like 11 foot sliding like glass doors that was again like a last second change and I was like you can spend 50k on this operable wall thing that nobody's going to use or we can make something dramatic and they were like yeah let's do it that's awesome hell yeah those are the clients <laughs> cool. I love yeah right? that'll uh-huh. give you some freedom yeah for yeah. sure um there's uh the the live room itself is just like a, a just a sick facility just because like I was saying before there's from an educational perspective, like these people, these kids that are there that are learning sound engineering, like it is prime opportunity to just walk into another room and understand like what you're hearing and what you're going through and be like, Oh, that is really bouncy or this is like really absorption or whatever. There's a brand new $300,000 uh, uh, audio board that was handmade in London uh, <laughs> that they shipped over and like, it's it's weird stuff that I like deal with on a regular basis where like so like a three hundred thousand dollar version of that yeah yeah <laughs> wow yeah. but it's like got this like specialty walnut trim oh cool that like it's it's wild so the guy who um like was responsible for all the equipment orders or whatever he was asking me he was like what should we finish the table with and like gave me like a couple options or whatever I was, I was like okay well let's start to look at like different things. And like, and then I'm talking to this dude in London. I'm like, Hey, what can you like do? That's like black and ebony. Cause like the whole facility is like basically like little pops of color, but it's basically black and white and like raw material. Mm-hmm. Cause I'm stripping away like a lot of like the polished versions of things to showcase. Like, like I'm, I've got these ladder, um, wire, wire trays basically showing a routing of like all the different cabling running through this whole facility. Because like, the amount of wires in a recording studio is absurd. Like I've got conduit that runs from underneath the table out up the ceiling, across the hall into like the main like uh, panel boards and the conduits like three, four inches wide. And there's like five of them. So geez, lots of wires. Some of the, Oh, some of the, like the cabling is like half an inch diameter too. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's sucking a lot of power, but um, yeah. So he, he was asking me, I was like, what should we finish the table? I was like, buddy, it's your table. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'll give you my opinion, but I mean, you're the one spending 300 K on this table. You put, yeah, make it whatever you want, man. <laughs> yeah, You pick what you want and I'll kind of design around it. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, I heard, and you might know more about this out in Chesterfield. Are they built? I heard they're building a sound studio out in Chesterfield. Yep. So, you know, what, yeah. what's going on with that? So what they are building out there, is actually really really cool it is essentially a large performance space to test and um basically to for these large acts 
Drake, Taylor Swift. Mm-hmm. Like, um, I think Rolling Stones were doing something out there too. Um, but none of those guys can showcase or test out or really uh, like play with like how they want the performance to look ahead of time. Cause you got to run a stadium to be able to do so. Right. So they'll run a stadium beforehand, set it all, see it. They don't like it. They're kind of screwed. Mm-hmm. And to rent a stadium is a significant chunk of change. Right there. You can go out, rent that place. Hey, Hey, we're going to try out some things for like a little while, really get it dialed in as to like what we want, light sound show, you know, fireworks, whatever to look like. And then we can go take it on the road. Damn. So it's like a test spot for <clears throat> new, for, for, big acts to go out there and like, Hey, this is what we want our, our final show to look like. And this is you know, a trial run. It's basically a playground for them to figure out what they really want their shows to look like. Yeah, did you guys have anything to do with that? We did not. My boss knows the owner um, and has talked with the guy a decent amount, but um, I don't know the story as to like yeah. who or why, or I don't, I guess I honestly don't even know who's building it. Um, I know it's been a long time, but I, it's also huge. It's massive. Where's it at? Like right in the valley on like a um, off the airport road, yeah. Um, behind the new Mar- uh, Maryville ice rink. Oh, yeah. okay. I know exactly where it's at then. I mean, you can see it from pretty much anywhere. Yeah. Okay. I just don't. I don't so go big. out that way too much. I mean, the fly space, like the height above, like the stage is like probably two hundred something feet. Like, oh fuck yeah! It's you huge. Can't miss it. Like yeah. <laughs> Damn. Shit, dude. Nice. So because they got that private airport too that they can just fly in and out that's, of. Oh, yeah, that's the that other makes part sense. of it. Yeah, yeah they the just access fly right for them in. just get in and out. Yep. Yeah. No one, no one's the wiser that they're here. It's yeah. hyper convenient. Yeah. That's and yeah, that makes sense. Quiet, right? Well, I know you you've designed a bunch of uh, cultivation, uh, cannabis yeah. cultivation things too, right? That's been kind of your other little niche, right? Other yeah, sound so, studios. So like, we that's did like such a funny like yeah, so <laughs> weed, weed, music. weed growing facilities and sound studios. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I so, mean, they go well together. They kind of do. <laughs> they definitely have interesting clients, or they are interesting clients, I guess, the way to phrase that. But no, yeah, so V3 does like a lot of random stuff. Um, we basically do everything, and we say with everything with the exception of uh, residential and healthcare. Okay. Now, we've also done a decent amount of both of those, or at least, I mean, my resume is I've got a shit ton of right. uh medical stuff and then i've done some residential stuff there too so it's not like not like we won't do it it just has to be the like the right project like i had um our buddy connor yeah he had uh or yeah no it was like his partner had their parents or whatever wanted to build like a brand new home i was like okay what are we talking about like is this like a half a million dollar project or is this like a four million dollar project like what are we looking at like if it's a half a million dollar project we're not necessarily the person for you just from the standpoint of like the amount of time and effort for me to build a custom home for you. That's going to come with a custom cost. Mm-hmm. Right. So there's not a whole lot of wiggle room there within a half a million dollars. Now, if it's $4 million, that's a different story. Um, luckily I've got a buddy of mine who, uh, shout out to, uh, Shab projects. My buddy drew Shab I mean, his dad, they do like elite, elite level, uh, residential houses. Like Good he did, know. um, he did a house out in Lake St. Louis, $30 million home. Oh, wow. Didn't yeah. even know they made them that big out here. Oh yeah. <laughs> out there. Uh, yeah. Um, but that being said, the guy who built in commission that is, he's in jail now for embezzlement. So, um, okay. yeah, just FYI. <laughs> Was it hidden in the house though? Uh, they did have uh secret passage escapes into it. Yeah. It was, it was pretty dope. Um, 
the cornices like in the ceiling were patented so nobody else can like put those into like their design. Wasn't he a sports agent? I don't know. Because I know that there was an, another guy that got in a lot of trouble out there. That was a sports agent. Um, I thought he was a attorney, but maybe I'm wrong. Uh, I guess Lake, Lake St. Louis is just known for uh, bad bad people. I guess that's where <laughs> yeah. you go. Yeah. I mean, this this house was like crazy. Like the roof was like brand new slate roofing that costs seven hundred fifty thousand just for the roof, bro. Yeah. I had a I had a client that put a yeah they put a slate roof on. He bought the house and we ended up selling it two years later. And he, all they did was put a slate roof on. And just to tell me, I mean, is it, is I think it had a slate roof. And so he wanted, or no, he didn't, it didn't have a slate roof. He put a slate roof on. Why? And it was like, <laughs> dude, it was like a $70,000 roof on a residential, yeah. residential house. And yeah. I'm like, dude, don't do slate. They had, well, cause, and another thing that they had to do, they had to reinforce. Yeah. Uh, yeah. They had to Everything reinforce it's the, so heavy. Cause it's so heavy. The yeah. amount of weight. Yeah. You're like 10 Xing. Asphalt shingles. Yeah. Yeah. It was like, yeah, they had to go in literally and re- yeah, they had to go in and reinforce the roof and it was yeah. just the whole thing. He's like, Yeah, it was like I think he said it was like sixty or seventy thousand dollars on a you know, a twenty five hundred square foot house in, in St. Charles. Yeah. The it's <laughs> not adding that much value to the house. No. I mean he he was fortunate enough because he bought they bought it right in twenty twenty and we sold it in twenty two. So okay. you know, we hit that big boom and yeah. he was able to sell it and, and make a profit, but if it, if it was a one off, bro, I was like, woof, you know, you guys definitely cutting it close yeah. for sure. Yeah. I mean, that house is, it's crazy. Like Mitt Romney did like a, uh, like a fundraising function there. Uh-oh. Like Damn. the, the office for like the, or like the main like office, like his den had like custom leather paneling as flooring that was heated. So like he could walk on warm leather <laughs> in cold mornings. And like not <laughs> is like the level of detail that stupid was in that. money. Oh yeah. yeah, like like I said, you yeah. you can add up to thirty million pretty quick when you start to do stuff like that. Yeah, it, it that, that definitely does not strike me as surprising. Mitt Romney would have a heated floor. Us normal peons would never experience. It wasn't Mitt Romney's. It was the house he was, was talking about. Just where oh. he did the function at. I'm yeah. sure he's. I'm sure he got one oh, for himself he, though. Yeah, I'm sure once he felt that he was like, oh, I need this. I gotta walk right. around barefoot on leather. Yeah. on heated leather. I it to me it just sounded like. My feet would sweat, but yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, but anyway. it's like a yeah. I don't know if I'd like that. I think there are some privileges that like come with like fame and money. That it's just like, do you really even want this? Do you really need a heated floor in the bathroom? That's yeah. That's yeah. 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 Flooring. I would love that in my house, yeah. but yeah, I'm not yeah. doing that. I like carpet enough. Like that's fine. Yeah, yeah. yeah some heated floor would be nice. I guess in like the winter when you walk into the bathroom in the morning, take a pee. Nice. Yeah. But no, to your cultivation question. So, um, yeah, so V3, like, um, we started to go down a route, uh, and we started to do, in the big boom of, like, when St. Louis decided to go wreck, um, a lot of investors came in and started to want to build. There's certain zones in St. Louis where uh, it was more feasible for guys to be able to build. Um, there's, there's sort of three different, there, there's three different licenses. You can get a dispensary license, you can get a lab license, or you can get a cultivation license. So dispensary, it's where you're selling. It's retail. Um, lab is the gummies, the chocolates, the infusions, the oils, all that kind of stuff. Cultivation, just growing weed. And not everybody got all of the ones that they wanted, but we had a decent amount of clients where basically they had some cool... Um, is cool not only from their brand perspective but also from the fact that they were they're wanting to build decent sizes 
now what actually gets built in the real world versus like what, you know, a concept in the beginning is always very different. People need to understand that one about architecture. Your idea from the beginning is most likely going to differ by the time it gets finished in the end. Right. I think a lot of people don't necessarily understand how long and how complicated it is from day one of idea of a building to when you walk in and turn the key to walk into your new facility. Like on a cultivation, like a 100,000 square foot cultivation facility, that's years we're talking about. So people don't understand is like, okay, you want to build and grow right now, but you have got like six months of me designing and building or designing and basically creating something that can be built. And then you've got 18 months of a contractor to actually build the dang thing. And then you're good. And then you can come in and actually start growing. Well, and then all the other stuff that you mentioned, like all the permits and stuff, or the, I'm sure that that takes time too. Well, I guess that's probably the first step I would imagine, right? No. No? Uh, Yeah, let's, this is a good, this is one of the things I had written down that I wanted to talk about. So project timeline. Zach, you come to me with an idea of, I want to build, let's use weeds and talk about it. You say, hey, I got a cultivation license. I want to build a, a grow facility. All right, let's find a site. Or we'll find a site and or existing building. If we go existing building, things are potentially easier. And I use the word potentially because no existing building is, is exactly perfect. Yeah. Yeah. It, particularly for cultivation because I have to have a room that is going to be sitting in like 70% humidity at all times. And it has to be like basically the variability for heating and cooling in that is going to be pretty tight windows. So I have to use high high grade stuff. All the grow lights are not, I'll call it energy efficient. Right. Because you got to put a shit ton of light because you're growing it artificially. Right. It's got to be like the sun inside. Yeah. Yeah. So basically you're hitting like, you're taking a bunch of just mechanical and electrical and plumbing costs because water, you have to water all these things, you know, and there's different methods for different growers and they all have their own hydroponics. That's, (laughs) that's definitely one of them. Um, but you know, so basically you're quadrupling your cost when it comes to mechanical, electrical, and plumbing. So now we've got, okay, we've got a hundred thousand square foot facility that we want to do it. We only can really grow on, let's say 60,000 square foot of that because you have other infrastructure in terms of circulation, mm-hmm. um, office related stuff. If you've got in there security to get in and out employees, locker rooms to get in and out, you have to have some cool things, uh, like air showers where, Employee bibs up, you walk into this cylinder, it blows a bunch of air up and down on top of you and basically gets all the dust and hair. Decontaminates yeah. basically what you're doing. So when you go into this facility, you're not contaminating anything. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's just your idea. So now we start to look at kit, kit parts of like, let's start to lay things out. And I mean, this is, this is where a lot of people try to shortcome a lot of different things when it comes to the timeline of getting getting the design and the layout to a contractor to build um i think a lot of people think that like it takes it shouldn't take that long to like lay out a building <laughs> but a lot of people don't understand that like the reality is it should take like 4 months to do so because i have to i can put the space there but like the wall construction how things come together you know, all that different, all the intricacies of that, I have to hand that off to a contractor. Like in the end result is, I, yes, I'm handing off two dimensional drawings to a contractor and saying, build. 
those drawings are basically an instruction manual of how to build this building with this specific type of materials and the way that they go together in every different corner of the building. Down to every fucking screw, bro. Not quite level, <laughs> but yes. I mean, close. I mean, like, yeah, but I know, I know that you would, they would need to know like how many panels of whatever you need to buy. And, you know, oh, totally. To I them. mean, yeah. Uh, I mean, it's what type of insulation are you using? Like, what type of roofing are you going to do? Like, we were just talking earlier about the difference between asphalt and slate roofing. <laughs> like, you know, most commercial stuff is all like a TPO or an EPDM type stuff, but like that doesn't mean it's necessarily going to be that way. Um, you know, energy codes, what energy code are we in in this particular municipality? Like, I just released drawings for a car dealership for St. Charles where when I started the project, we were in one code. And then when I submitted drawings, we were in a different code, which was more restrictive. What do you so mean I, by that, like code? So just there. the timeline. So oh, St. Charles adopted oh, the so most they, recent okay. code between so me, my initial shit. design versus what it is now. So I had to go back and basically change how the wall construction on half of the building. Jeez. Yeah. And it's out of nowhere. Yeah. And there's different. Some of it is like, okay, some municipalities are easy to work with. Some are not. Right. Um, Creep core. I, I'm not a fan of you um, <laughs> because you have very restrictive things, but there are certain areas in creep core, which require it. Now they look at it more from a blanket perspective and be like, okay, well, everything's going to be this way because it's easier for us to basically review stuff going on. And you can get variances here and there for different things, but it's few and far between. Um, St. Charles is pretty easy to work with. I'm also decent friends with the mayor. So I have a little bit of say, and I know pe- people in planning and zoning that, can help our way through things but code is code i mean you know the big jump in terms of like uh insulation insulation on the exterior of buildings it's a big thing um real riveting stuff for architecture yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> um, you have to have what they call continuous insulation on the exterior of buildings these days um and that is a very different method than what's traditionally done uh so there's a lot of, you know there's a bunch of products and i have reps that come in and you know, tout all their stuff, but it's, it's a different way of looking at putting a building together. So <clears throat> we, we come up with the idea, we get through a, uh, an initial layout and then I start to document stuff. That's, you know, depending upon the, if we're talking a hundred thousand square foot facility, we're talking like probably six months to get, get us to it or a right look at now we can handle things in two different ways. We can go with the design build method or we can get to go through design bid build. So sometimes you have a contractor that you want to work with. So if you want to work with that contractor, then we would typically go with a design build method, meaning it's a captive audience. You've got people you want to work with. You're already working with me. I work with the contractor, get him a set to go start to price out, to bring in consultants, consulting engineers. Typically you'll already have had like, you'll already have hired me underneath me would have been like a, structural engineer sometimes underneath me would be like a civil engineer depends upon size of the project and from then you would take i would take basically a a, a not totally complete set um not like 100 percent construction drawings not that full instruction manual would be call it 80 percent hand that off to a contractor he'll go get uh basically mechanical electrical plumbing engineers and fire protection, they'll come in, we coordinate, and then issue the 100% drawing. So there's 
call it whatever, a couple uh, more months. And we start to talk about construction timeline. When, <sighs> when are you building? You building? I haven't even broke ground yet. <laughs> no. Do you have a bunch of site work you got to do? It's all, I mean, all of it's the volatility and very, uh, the amount of variables is exponential. And all I'm trying to do is just bring all of those into the center and be like, I can control this. I can control this. The more I can shave off a little bit of variables, the less you're shocked at the end with the sticker prices, yeah. <laughs> whatever, $10 million sure. or, or $20 million or whatever it is. But so then you start to break ground and you start to actually build stuff. You know, when are we building? Are we building in the middle of the winter? All right. Well, pouring concrete at sub freezing temperatures isn't ideal. Right. You can do it, but it's going to cost you. So do we wait to like right now is like a prime example. We had a 60 degree swing in temperature yesterday. Yeah. It's crazy. <laughs> like somebody who was pouring concrete yesterday is not going to be happy with the results of what's happening today. Right. Because overnight, basically that hardened too fast for the mixture that they put into the ground. Right. So if anybody poured concrete, I feel sorry for you. Thanks a lot, Missouri. Yeah. Yeah, dude. I mean, it was eight, it was like almost 80 degrees yesterday. It was 84 degrees and it was 29 last night. Yeah. Brutal. I know. I stepped outside this morning. So you got to be fucking kidding me. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. So. During construction, like this is another thing that people don't think um, architects are involved in. And this is probably one of my broader things. If anybody, I'll, I'll get to that diatribe here in just a second. But um, people think architects are, as soon as I hand over drawings to a contractor, I go away. And there are some architects that do that. I'm not one of them. Typically, the people who do that kind of thing, I won't say they don't care. I'm just saying they don't have the experience or they don't have it written. Sometimes it's not even written in their contracts. Like if you do not have what they call construction administration services, meaning I'm overseeing the construction, the, I am almost like the general manager. Essentially. Yeah. So like you've got our general contractor. No, uh, general manager is the right way to approach it because so the manager, like yeah. baseball reference. Yeah. Manager is the guy day in and day out manager or basically the general contractor is that manager and or, superintendent same one in the same same company i am then the gm saying hey i gave you all these parts and pieces to build it in this way so advise as you have you are contractually obligated that's why it's called contract documents not construction documents in the real world that's what it's called um you have to build it this way now if i go out there and you're building it the wrong way i can tell you to rip that shit out yeah. now not a whole lot of people have the balls to do that these days because they're like you got to be a team player. You got to, sure. you know, all that kind of crap. But I mean, I spent six months of my life, you yeah. know, designing this, yeah. designing and scrutinizing. It up. Yeah. <laughs> I, but seriously. And, and that's where there's a decent amount of animosity between contractors and architects. And that's primarily the reason why. I'm sure. Yeah. But you guys probably seen as the bad guy. Oh shit. He's here. He's, oh, you know, I hope I, we've been putting this together. Right. So one of the, one of the first jobs I ever went on job site for. I was 23 at the time. And I go out. It's a really simple thing. Like, I, I knew what the hell I was doing in terms of, like, I can actually push back as to, like, it was, it was like building a wall. It wasn't complicated. And contractor, I show up on site. Contractor's, like, probably in his early 50s. Again, I'm this 23-year-old kid. Yeah. Um, and... He, I don't think he knew who I was like whenever I, I got on site, but he basically, he's just, you know, kind of shooting shit with me. And he was like, man, I fucking hate architects. I hate punch lists. Punch list is basically me going through at the very end of a project and proving what, it, whether he did something right or not. 
and he's in there. I fucking hate architects. I hate punch lists. And I'm like, just didn't say anything at the time. And then like when the rest of the team all showed up and be like, all right, Hey guys, I'm the architect. Bob. This guy's like, fuck. Yeah. And so I start walking through the projects and, and pointing out all the shit that he didn't do. Right. And I can see him just hanging his head. Just like, be like, buddy, like it's fucking do your job. It's on the drug. Do do your your job. job. Your job is to abide by these things. And a lot of people just, they, it's shortcomings. They want to get it done. They want to get out of the hair and they want to get paid. It's not I'm the sure way I seeing, do it, you know, or whatever. They probably throw their, some, something like back that. Back in, in my there. day. Yeah. Well, and okay. Explain to me why you doing it that way is better than what I showed you, but do it before you build it. Yeah. I'm happy to move off of a thing. If it's going to be more efficient for you, or if you plan for that and there's a price associated with that, like one thing I deal with all the time and it drives me fucking crazy is I will go in through the like a pre-con service or pre-con meeting. So we haven't started construction. And I say every single project, I go, listen, we've not broke ground at all yet. In this very moment, if you are trying to substitute a specific product that I put on the drawings, tell me now. So I can look and vet it and whether it's going to be correct or not. If it's the wrong product or if it's not up to snuff as to what I you know, picked, I need to know why you want to do it. Is it just because you have a bunch of it laying off to the side or you just know that it's cheaper, but it's an inferior product? I'm not going to approve it. But the, inevitably what happens all the time is they go through construction, they put it in anyway. And I tell them, I was like, why is that there? Why didn't you pick the thing that I put out there? And they're like, oh, well, we got it. And I was like, yeah, well, I mean. Take it out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was like, now you have to do it twice, man. Yeah, sorry. So you could have just talked to me earlier and I'll be happy to work with you. Yeah. So there's a lot of that that like happens in the field that like I think a lot of architects don't do because they don't want to deal with the confrontation of like all of that. Right. I'm sure it's it's got to be uncomfortable. You're sitting there as a, especially as like a 23 year old kid new in the business. You got to oh. go in here and tell all these contractors that are double your age. You've been doing this for 20 years. Yeah. You got to tell them like, hey. You didn't do this right. You no, gotta you, redo it. You, you better know? believe that I was very confident in my answers whenever I was. Oh, good. I'm sure. Yeah. But like it's gotta be a scary, scary oh, thing it is. to do. It is. Like, like, oh, well, let's you gotta be the bad guy. Let's be real. Let's look at our industry. The people that are sitting here telling us, Oh, I've been in the business for twenty years or this and that, they're dog shit. Yeah, they are. You know? They've been doing an average job for twenty to thirty. Right. Years. Right. 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 And here we are. You're putting out a product that's top of the line. You want top of the line work. Makes right. sense. Makes complete sense. Same to what I was saying earlier. Custom home comes with custom costs. Right. right? Like, yeah. You want a kit home, we could do that. Right. But listen, we have to have the conversation of like, what's your budget? That's, right. I mean, honestly. That's probably the first question, right? It's almost always. And, you know, now is probably the hardest time in history to gauge what things are going to cost. You know, I have projects I've done recently that were 430 to $450 a square foot. But then I have projects that were under 250. Yeah. And it all depends upon size. You know, I was, I'm, we're potentially doing a bunch of park work again, which I used to do um, at previous firms, but uh, an existing client, uh, it's actually not even like the client for the park, but he's a landscape engineer uh, that, or landscape architect that contact. Anyway, he came to us and was like, hey, we're doing some cool stuff. We want to bring you guys in, but we need some initial budgeting. I'm like, boy. Let, let me, uh, let me work on that for like a little bit. And I, I had to go back through cause I, you know, the prices I did my park work in 2016, 2017, aren't even close to what shit to what now. is now. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah. And even like I did, uh, I did a pretty kick-ass pavilion for my in-laws, um, a little pergola thing that they were just, they gave me free reign to design and it was, it, it you know, I'm there all the time cause I got a sure. pool in the backyard, but, um, the cost of that was like at the high, high, high end of like lumber costs. That's still probably going to be less expensive, uh, than what it would be to try and build today. So it's, it's budgeting stuff is really, really hard right now, but we are starting to see things dip a little bit, at least from, I think about a year and a half ago was about our peak. But I mean, it really all depends upon it's like labor timelines. Like everything's longer, everything's more expensive than you think. And if we can sit and have those real conversations initially, you're not going to be mad at me and the tail end when you're saying, why isn't this done? Yeah. yeah. Makes sense. That's um, one thing I did want to talk about, and I don't know if we've ever talked about this before, but I'm curious how you got into jujitsu. Huh, I, I, you mentioned earlier, Jocko yeah, yeah. fanboy was that? Oh uh, yeah, yeah, that was that had to be a little bit of a. So yeah, no, I have the very typical answer of yes, J- Joe Rogan, Joe Rogan and Jocko, right? and Jocko. Are <laughs> That's what I always say very... in my class. I'll be like, hey, uh, so what made you want to try jujitsu? Was it Rogan, Jocko? Who was it? You know. Yeah. <laughs> now, so they are not the reason I wanted to get into it. They just wouldn't stop talking about it. So I was like, all right, what the hell is this thing? And basically I had an in as to like, so Uzo, right. who we train with, who I'm sure you guys will have on. Um, yeah, definitely. He, uh, I knew he trained and I had. And how do you know him? I met him at a high school friend of mine who he went to college with at their wedding. And we just, I, it was a. It was a fun wedding. We'll say that and <laughs> met him there. We, we kicked it off and talked a little bit, but pretty rarely. Um, and maybe hung out a couple other times, but I like, you know, like socials follow him on there. Yeah. Kept seeing him talk about it. Kept seeing him on podiums, you know, winning shit in local tournaments or I mean, shit, he even did stuff internationally and right. his, he's been pretty successful there. But, um, so I just sent him a text. I was like, Hey, what's all this jujitsu about? And he was just like, come try it out. And I was like, okay. And this was when Kyle had his uh, spot over by SLU, so Watson 2.0. And <laughs> went in day one. It was like, had my first uh, beginner's class with Midiki was teaching at the time. Midiki was a purple belt, I think. Um, and I was like, okay, this is kind of cool. And you, you know, I actually get to say, like, I had the standard, like, closed guard arm bar yeah. for day one class. So, yeah. like, it was pretty funny just to be like. Yeah, it's like a stereotypical, it's like, very first stereotypical. people thing that people learn on their first day is like the closed guard arm bar. Yeah. You 